was wonderful. Thank you, guys. We're uh, we're now in the uh, third in our series on prayer, and uh, I'd like to um, this morning. It's going to be the text is relatively long. We're going to look at uh, what Jesus has to tell us about prayer in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at starting at Luke chapter 11, and then we're going to be over at Luke 18. So you can keep your fingers there. Luke 11, and then Luke 18, as we hear what the Lord has to tell us about prayer, and hopefully I'll bring it all together for you. Uh, I guarantee you the sermon is not going to be this much longer than it normally is, so, uh, so don't be concerned about that. If you're, if you're able, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying on a certain place when he finished One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a mistake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Then in chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, 
but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord of, God, Lord of love and truth, as we gather here focusing on the truth that you have given us in Scripture, we pray that your Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts and in our minds. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a story about a young man named James who lived in a small town, and he called the church that was down the road and asked the pastor if he would come and pray for his mother who was sick at home. Now, this town, as I told you, was pretty small. And the pastor knew that this particular family were members of the church next to them. So he asked why he didn't ask Pastor Rogers to come over and pray for his mother. James said, yeah, I, I guess I could have, but I don't want Pastor Rogers to catch what Mom has. We're continuing in prayer, and this is our third in our series, at the heart, as prayer is the heart of revitalization, as we seek God's work here at Parkway, that uh, we might indeed continue to live into the vision and mission that he has given us here in, this, in the coming community. And I'd like to start here by looking at chapter 18 first, and then working backwards to chapter 11. Uh, by the way, this is the way, we don't tend to do this. We tend to lead from beginning to end. But Hebrews uh, in Jesus' time didn't read that way. Uh, they did read it as uh, to beginning to end, but then they would go back and look at the whole and get the pictures and put the pieces and puzzles together. They, that's, uh, that was a way the Hebrews read. So I'd like to do that by kind of going back through the verses that we looked at. The setting of this uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector at the end of our passage in 18 is a time of private prayer. And it could have happened at any time of the day. Luke uh, tells, us the, uh, tells, the audience of Je- tells us that the audience of Jesus' statements were those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. The, tra- the term translated, were confident, is in the perfect participle in the Greek, and it's a very significant term, which is telling us that they had continuing, ongoing confidence that never seems to wane. And the other word here, look down, is also a very strong one in the Greek, and it can also be translated as despised or rejected. See, uh, for them, like it sometimes is for us, it's easy to compare ourselves to people who don't quite measure up to where we think we are, at least in our own eyes. The Pharisee is a respected religious leader, while the tax collector is viewed as a leech on society and and a traitor with Rome. The Pharisee approaches God boldly and begins what looks like a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, I thank you, God. But look carefully there. What is he grateful for? The Pharisee is grateful for himself. Do you see that? 
that he's not like other sinners, such as robbers, evildoers, and, and adulterers, or even a tax collector. He honors God by fasting voluntarily twice a week and tithing. See, since it's all above and beyond the call of duty, the Pharisee wears it as a badge of achievement, thinking that God should cause that this should give God cause to give him favor. This prayer is kind of a uh, distortion of a common praise psalm. Because when the Pharisee is done, his prayer in effect is this. I thank you, God, that I'm so great. In effect, he believes God should be honored that this faithful Pharisee is on his team. Five times in two verses, he uses the first, personal, first person singular pronoun. He's making himself the major subject of the prayer. He even puts down the tax collector, praying beside to him, referring to him disdainfully as this tax collector. Now, uh, let's take a look at the tax collector. He's, in many ways, the opposite of the Pharisee. He doesn't stand up, but he comes to God with a sense of distance. He doesn't look up to heaven, but instead he beats his breast, fully aware that he comes to God as a sinner. And his prayer is quite different. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See what there isn't? There's no self-congratulation. There's no listing of his good deeds. There's no sense that God ought to feel honored or obligated to him. He's coming to God, recognizing his need for God's mercy. See, the Greek word that's used in to indicate that this man knows he can do nothing to earn forgiveness. So all he can do is ask for God's compassion. His only desire is to improve his relationship with the living God. See, Jesus wants no doubt as to whom who he is approving. And this is, by the way, points one and two on your uh, outline, which is in the middle of your bulletin there, on your insert. The one justified before God, the one whose prayer is heard, is not the religious man who thought he'd done well enough to earn a hearing. The prayer God hears is the call for mercy. And Jesus explains why. He says, anyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, while the one who is humbled will be lifted up. In other words, the best way up is down. And the quickest way down is to lift yourself up. Bravado and appearance mean nothing. Resume and social status mean nothing. Self-reliance means nothing. What counts is a heart that appreciates what God can give. The tax collector is the one that Jesus tells us went home justified. He sought forgiveness and he came empty-handed to God and he got it. So Jesus' point is really quite straightforward here. God desires people who don't compare themselves to others, but compare themselves to the requirement of God and are therefore humbled. Humility is rare in a society like ours. We uh, tend to like to brag about uniqueness and merit. Another aspect of this is that uh, 
that many want to bargain with God. Do you see this here? They want to manipulate God. If, if I do this, God, if I stop doing this, God, then will you bless me? See, that's, uh, that's, in the, that's a part of this Pharisee's prayer. I've done all this, now bless me. See, what God desires is for us to approach him on the basis of his mercy and his grace, not on the basis of our achievements and accomplishments. See, the standard of comparison is never to be my neighbor, never to be my pastor, not even the people on television. It is always the character and holiness of God. See, when we uh, end up comparing ourselves to others, what we're effectively doing is trying to lower the bar so we can easily jump over it. But the tax collector knew where he stood with God. And so point three is the tax collector knew full well that he could never earn one iota of favor with God. He wasn't a product of his own achievement, and when we realize who we are in the mercy and grace of a holy God and understand the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, and that also creates compassion within us. See, the attitude of humility rests entirely on his grace. Let me suggest that pride is an insult to God and reveals that we have never understood the grace of God. Pride is all about merit. It's all about what I've earned and what's owed to me. But humility pleads for compassion. Pride negotiates with God like he is an equal. Humility realizes my need for forgiveness. Pride separates by putting others down. Humility compassionately identifies with others, recognizing that we all have the same need. Pride separates people through its self-serving attitude. Humility opens doors with its power to sympathize with the struggles we each share. Pride turns up its nose. Humility offers an open hand. Pride is territorial. It possesses. It controls. It attempts to manipulate others. Humility shares. It's open to change. It realizes that even in my greatest achievements, there is corruption from my depraved desires. A proud heart can't find intimacy with God, while a truly humble heart finds solace and strength in God. In our society today, the proud often get all the praise, despite what it does to relationships and to their character. Prideful people rise to the top. The humble are often looked down upon. Let me also suggest that humility doesn't discuss itself. It only seeks to sacrifice that others can be served. And let me also suggest that pride is insidious. We take pride not only in our own achievements, but even in those of our children and grandchildren. So we think we're humble when we highlight the achievements of our family members. But even this becomes a back door to our own pride. Humility never brags about goodness and integrity. It just lives with integrity. 
All of this, by the way, is connected with Jesus' discussion about prayer in the earlier part of chapter 18. So let's continue to move back up. See, teaching, Jesus' teaching about prayer in chapter 18 follows after a discussion about his second coming in chapter 17 and the attitude that disciples should have in light of the fact that he'll be coming again, especially as they minister in a world that often rejects them. So the answer that Jesus gives to that is to pray persistently without losing heart. It's an expression of enduring faith. And here we're given this parable again. And again, there are two people in the parable. First, a widow, and she represents someone who is helpless in society, and only the judge can help her. But we're told the, dr- the judge doesn't fear God or respect people. He's not a just judge. Yet because this widow is stubbornly persistent, her persistence wears him down and he finally gives in and gives her the justice that she hoped for. By the way, this, is, this story is an excellent example of the way that uh, Jews made a point in Christ's time. And the point is quite clearly this. If even this unjust, terrible judge hears the cry of the widow, how much more will a compassionate God hear the cries of his people? It's easy to lose heart. And the struggles of this world often make us wonder if all of this is really worth it. Christ's call on us is to pray like this widow. Pray persistently. Because if that's the widow's persistent, if even this widow's persistent was able to move that hard-hearted judge to action, how much more will our loving Lord be moved by the persistence of his disciples that he loves? Jesus urges us to pray to God. And ultimately, we'll draw on his faithfulness for our daily strength. It's also a call for us to pray in radically different ways. See, the whole example of this is the end times when Jesus will turn again as we wait in this day and age, in this day of difficulty and trial. And we're called to pray for justice. Well, what kind of justice does he have in mind? See, let me suggest that most of the time when we gather and we pray, we follow certain patterns. We pray for one another's needs, usually health and finance. Sometimes we'll pray for our nation and missionaries or the victims of disasters, and all of those are important and good prayers. But what is often missing is the kind of prayer that is indicated here. We are to wear God down with prayers like, and we're given an example of the kind of prayer he means, And it's in Acts chapter 4, where we uh, read, uh, beginning in verse 23, if you have your Bibles, Acts 4, 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And now I'm going to take a pause. I'm not going to read the whole prayer because I'm going to encourage you to come next week for more on that particular prayer. But I'm going to jump to verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
after they prayed, the, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. See, that is the kind of prayer that Jesus is calling on us to pray. Here, the church asks for enablement to perform what God had called them to do, even in the face of severe persecution. They were asking God to show His presence powerfully through their ministry, that the Lord might be glorified and not them. And they were asking for boldness, that they might step out in faith, even if it cost them their own lives, for the sake of Jesus and the Gospel. And that's, point, uh, that's the next point on your outline. For the sa- pray for boldness. We need to risk for the sake of Jesus that the Lord might show His presence powerfully through our ministry for His glory. Let me suggest that's not an easy thing to do. It really isn't. That's why we need to pray for one another in these ways. Chuck Swindoll tells of a test test that was conducted by a university where ten students were placed in a room. Three uh, lines of varying length were put on a card, a large card. The students were told to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the longest line. Now here is the real test. Nine of the students had been instructed beforehand to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the second longest line. One student was the stooge. The usual reaction of the stooge was to put his hand up, look around, realizing he was all alone, pull it back down. This happened 75% of the time with students from grade school through high school. The truth, is, the truth is that in our sin natures, we don't want to be singled out. We fear standing alone and being mocked and ridiculed. And so we do need boldness. Boldness that comes from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The courage of the other 25% to stand for the truth. You know, and we have an infinitely more important truth to communicate the truth of the Gospel. How about you? When was the last time you prayed for boldness for our missionaries and for your church at Parkway or for yourself? Boldness for the spread of the Gospel. Have you prayed that persistently? Now, uh, let's head back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, and look at the section that we uh, usually refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Here the focus is on how we are to relate to God. So Jesus is asked by a disciple for instructions about how to pray. He starts by teaching them to address God as Father, for God is personal, and He cares for us. And so we're called to childlike deep trust of God, real intimacy that involves our whole being. It's not based on what the Father can do for me, but dependent on who He is, and that He has adopted us in Christ Jesus. And so this is point five. God as Father means intimacy. God is intimate. But as we see here in the following verse, He is also to be honored and respected. So when we pray, we are to remember, hallowed be thy name. 
He is holy. He's to be honored and worshipped with awe. And so point six on your outline is we don't pray to Him or relate to Him as if He is a slob like one of us or a giant Santa Claus in the sky. Or rather, we come humbly. Kind of like that tax collector. See, I'm bringing this all together. Don't worry. Okay. The next part is the request of his kingdom to come. Or in other words, that his rule be totally present on earth. Which is a lot like the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 4. It's a prayer that recognizes that we live in a fallen and corrupted world full of sin full of violence, full of opposition to God and to His people. And so we'll suffer. But we know that one day God will fully reveal Himself in power and we live and pray boldly and persistently with that hope. Even as we pray that the Lord will show Himself strong in our lives, that He might be glorified and that others might be drawn to Him. So, uh, the next verse is, going to, is also point seven. And that is, we never forget that our most basic needs for, come from God. See? So as we pray, we recognize in humility our daily need. God is our provider, even of the food that sustains us. Jesus calls us to pray and to live recognizing our desperate dependence and need for God's care every day, every moment. And then, much like the tax collector, in humility we recognize our need for forgiveness of our sins. And even as we ask and receive that forgiveness, unlike the Pharisee, we recognize the hurtful sins of others toward us. And we extend forgiveness to them. Why? Because it's wrong to ask from God what we are not willing to give to others. And that's forgiveness. Now the final part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sadly, that's one of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. The Greek has the sense, do not cause us to succumb to temptation. And so point eight is this. It is a recognition that without God's leading, we would lead ourselves straight into more sin, more harming of God, more harming of others, and more harming of ourselves. See, what this means is that we understand just how vulnerable and prone to sin we really are. That is, if we are not daily seeking to draw close to God in prayer and through his word. We either walk the paths of our lives alone, or we walk with our hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters, as I remember singing as a child. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to walk in bold reliance on our Savior, hand in hand, in perpetual prayer. Now, there's a final parable. It's about a couple of neighbors. And what Jesus is doing here is presenting a dilemma. You see, on the one hand, in that culture, there were no grocery or convenience stores. So most people bake bread each day 
for that day. And on the other hand, hospitality was one of the highest values. So, a visitor would be received and cared for no matter what time they came over. So, Jesus presents this dilemma. It's late. There's no food in the house. But a guest comes over. What do you do? The way Jesus poses the dilemma, you and I are the guests in need. So Jesus asks, which of you would have the nerve to go wake up his friend and likely his family as well in the middle of the night and ask for bread? Jesus gets to the point of the story. Because the neighbor is so bold, the friend provides him with what he asks. Not because he's a good friend, but because the neighbor, that is you and I, has boldness. It's a Greek word that includes both boldness and shamelessness. In other words, he's got a lot of nerve. This is the attitude we're to have in requesting basic spiritual needs. Jesus makes that pretty clear there when he says, providing the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. Why? Because the door is open before us. You and I are to seek in prayer the Holy Spirit's enabling, boldly and without shame. Our Father in Heaven delights in providing us all we need for spiritual growth in all He calls us to. I don't know about you, but hourly I need spiritual strength and insight from the Lord. I think you do too. And if we ask with persistent boldness, He will provide. Not praying is a little like being married to your spouse but never speaking to one another. See, our, prayer, our Savior wants us to pray constantly and to intercede for one another. He expects boldness from us from us, his adopted children, when it comes to spiritual requests made in humble need. God doesn't promise to give us everything we desire, but only what we need for spiritual growth and maturity to his glory. God loves and cares for us, desiring what is best for us. He loved us so much that, and he was so committed to us that he sacrificed his only son for us. And nothing can separate us from that intimate connection with Him except one thing, ourselves. And our failure to draw near to Him in humble reception of His care and His spiritual provision. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching us to pray, urging us to come in persistent boldness. Just as with any relationship, we must give it time, we must give it effort, and we must nurture that relationship. So let me ask you, how seriously do you take prayer? Are you making time for prayer? Are you taking the time to pray with other brothers and sisters in Christ? How is your prayer time with the Lord? Do you come before the Lord like the tax collector? Or like the Pharisee? Do you realize your dependence upon the one who loves you and gave himself for you? Do you seek him in daily confession and receiving forgiveness while giving forgiveness? 
You come before Him boldly and unashamedly, yet in humility, because He loves you. Do you daily knock, knock, knock on heaven's door? I have to have these songs, the phrases in there from time to time. He says, come, seek, knock, doesn't he? Do you daily knock? Do you come to him expecting his arms to be open to you? I pray you do. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving Lord, the truth is is that we fail so often to pray as you taught us to pray. To pray for each other. To pray with the kind of love and boldness and forgiveness that you have called upon us. To pray with sincerity. To pray with humility. And yet to pray persistently. To pray for your Holy Spirit's filling and his work in our midst. To pray that for our brothers and sisters in Christ. To pray that for our missionaries and Christians and uh, Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, how often do we fail to pray these kinds of prayers that you have called us to? Lord, you seek to do your work in our midst. You seek to do your work in our individual lives. You seek to do your work here at Parkway. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for boldness to be the kind of people that you desire us to be here, that the gospel might go forth, that lives might be transformed all around us, that we might see an overflowing of the work of your Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.